Hello and welcome to the historic Lindsley Avenue message. We're so grateful that you're taking time to join us and uh, we pray that you are well and we pray for your family and it's good to uh, join you with scripture and to turn our focus on God this week and begin our week in service and in worship uh, to him. And we're going to pick up actually from where we studied last week. And last week we studied the subject of glorified leftovers. And it was at the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus does this miraculous sign. And he just takes uh, just two uh, fish and five uh, loaves of bread and then feeds some fifteen to 20,000 People. And it was because of the generosity of this young lad. And Jesus teaches after this about communion and about himself being the bread of life. And something happens. And in verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And so it ends in a sad way that these disciples who had witnessed this great sign, this great miracle performed by Jesus, and, and Jesus provides for the people the sustenance that they need. He is their shepherd. And after this, because of his teaching, it says many of the disciples don't walk with him anymore. Faith can be a struggle, can it? Obedience can be even more of a struggle. Yet the scriptures encourage us to hang on in faith. I'm reminded of that man, that father in Mark chapter 9, 24, who's desiring for his son to be healed. And he says those words, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And sometimes we can all relate to that sentiment, can't we? That we, we do believe, but we need help with our unbelief. That if we can just believe a little more, if our faith can be stronger. And then there's the question of obedience. And these disciples, they believed but yet they, they wouldn't walk with Jesus anymore. Jesus says, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? And so not only in Scripture do we have people who are faithful and are obedient, but we also have folks who believe and obey, and then, unfortunately, they apostatize, they fall away. You know, you think about those who fell away. The first would probably be Judas that would come to mind. And Judas falls away from Jesus at, a, at the most crucial time of Jesus' life. And it's because of avarice, it's because of greed that Judas falls away. And Judas had the greatest teacher. Judas witnessed all the, the signs and miracles. Jesus had seen 
the lame healed, the leper cleansed, the dead raised. And he still was affected by the sin and rebellion that was around him. We think about Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira. This couple who, because of their greed and because of their pride, came to the apostles and lied, it says, to the Holy Spirit. Lied to God. And they fell away. They were not obedient. And just as Judas had the best teacher, Ananias and Sapphira had the best church. They were a part of that Jerusalem church, that church that was just described in Acts chapter 2 as having all things in common. But yet, for all of that, they weren't faithful. You also have Demas mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4.10 where Paul says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And Demas, just as Judas had the best teacher and just as Ananias and Sapphira had the best church, Demas had the best example being Paul. But yet he falls prey to the world. And there's also false teachers in this world. And despite God giving us this great book, the Bible, despite God giving us his Holy Spirit, people still fall away. It says in 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So Paul, by the Spirit, says, in latter times, people will fall away, will apostatize from the truth, from Jesus, just as they did in John chapter 6, verse number 66. After these people fall away, Jesus asks his disciples, look at verse 67 of John chapter 6. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Think about that. That this mass exodus happens in Jesus' Following in the multitude, these people leave never to walk with him again. And then Jesus turns to his 12, his disciples, and he says, What about you? Are you going to leave too? You know, we get caught up in consensus, don't we? We get caught up in what other people think and what other people do. And in fact, we have seen heinous things happen because of a group think or group mentality, haven't we? We see that all the time, that because people see what others are doing, they begin to follow in that same path. One writer once said it like this, if a man wants to lead the orchestra, he must turn his back to the crowd. Sometimes we must turn our backs to the crowd 
to preserve our faithfulness and our integrity to God. And the numbers and the consensus of what people believe isn't always right. In fact, sometimes what people believe is wrong, what the multitude believes is wrong. Jesus said it like this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So Jesus says, what are you going to do? Are you going to leave me? And he says this, do you also want? And he says, it is an issue of the heart. What do you want to do? Do you want to leave me? And it's a matter of the heart. In another place in scripture, Jesus says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. Jesus asked, what do you want? Do you want to be like them and leave? And then Peter gets down to the point. In verse 68, he says this. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go you have the words of life have you ever considered the alternatives to jesus and peter in his life finds that there is no alternative to jesus there's no one else to go to. It is Christ and Christ alone. Why Jesus? Why the man from Galilee? Well, the first thing that I want to suggest to you today is, is number one, Christ and his authority. Now today, authority doesn't ring well with us sometimes. We don't like those words. We don't like to subject ourselves to, to authority. But authority is necessary, it's essential. And what we've seen in our society and in our culture is a breakdown, a crisis of authority. We see it everywhere. And it, and it comes at a time where information is ubiquitous. Information is everywhere, but yet no one trusts anyone. Think about what you believe right now about anything. What is the source of that belief? Why do you believe what you believe about anything? There's several things to choose from. There is our experience. Our experience points us to truth. What we've experienced in our lives, we have the experience of our memory. We have the experience of our emotion. We have those experiences that inform us. We have empiricism. In other words, we can test things in a laboratory. 
But how many of us are actually testing anything in our houses right now? But yet, we believe in empiricism. We believe in the scientific method. But how many are we actively engaged in any type of scientific experiments? You can believe based on experience, based on empirical evidence, rationality. Some of us like to think of ourselves as rational people, but life isn't all about rationality either. Why do we believe what we believe? Well, we ask ourselves, what does Google say? What does Wikipedia say? What do the newspapers say? What does the TV say? And for all of this information, there's a crisis. And it is a crisis of authority. C.S. Lewis observed, don't be scared by the word authority. Believing things on authority only means believing them because you've been told by someone who you think trustworthy. 99% of the things you believe are believed on authority. I believe there is such a place as New York, even though C.S. Lewis himself has not been there, he says. I could prove by abstract reasoning that there must be such a place. I believe it because reliable people have told me so. The ordinary man believes in the solar system, in atoms, evolution, and the circulation of the blood on authority because the scientist says so. Every historical statement in the world is believed on authority. None of us have seen the Norman Conquest or the defeat of the Armada. None of us could prove them by pure logic as you prove things in mathematics. We believe them simply because people who did see them have left behind writings that tell us about them. In fact, on authority, a man who jibbed at authority and other things as people do in religion would have to be content to know nothing all his life. Authority. And when we get to Christ's authority, we find superior authority in matters of morality. When it comes to Jesus' conduct, when it comes to his life, it says in John chapter 19, 6, that Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Why? Because of the character and life of Jesus, the beneficence, the grace, the love that he showed for those who were marginalized, for the children, for the women, for the hurt, for the dying, for the criminal, for the enemy. Jesus' life had such moral authority because of the way in which he lived. His words had authority. It says they marveled at the way that he taught in Matthew chapter 7. It says Peter replies to Jesus in this instance and says, you have the words of eternal life. And Christ is authentic. And we find that God approves of, of Jesus 
through his miracles and signs. We see the devotion of his disciples. And we see the consequences of his life and the effects that it's had on the world. Some may say and ask and object, well, what about the bad things that are done in the name of Jesus? And certainly, it is troubling what some people will do in the name of Christ. And when we look back in history, we can find different power grabs and different things that happened, different wars even, that were produced in the name of faith, in the name of Christ. One time, Augustine said, never judge a philosophy by its abuses. By its abuses. And if we were, were to take the same logic that people discredit Christ because of the bad that's done in his name, could we take that and apply that to science itself? What about the abuses of science? That yes, it has created good. It has created vaccines and cures and wonderful things, but it's also produced chemical warfare, pollution, drugs, and other things. In fact, not too many years ago, I read a story about two guys who were playing Pokemon. And unfortunately, one fell off a cliff. The abuses of anything can be terrible, but we can't judge a philosophy or a truth by its abuses, but by whether it's true. And what we see in Christ is that his substantive teachings have changed the world. Peter asked that question, to whom shall we go? And when we think about the other alternatives, we find two different things. And one thinker by the name of Pascal observed that when we don't have Christ, then what happens is, is either by talking about man's dignity, philosophy tempts humanity to pride, or they talk about the existential issue and it drives men to despair. So what we've found in the history of Western thought is really two directions. Either we go in the, the direction of pride and hubris and where man is the measure of all things, or we find men driven to despair at the nothingness of existentialism. But then there's Jesus. And Pascal observed this, Christianity is most surprising. It obliges man to acknowledge that he is vile and even abominable, and yet enjoins him to aspire to the resemblance of God. That's Christianity. To whom shall we go if not Christ? There is no one to turn to for the fulfillment. 
The scriptures say that in Christ are all spiritual blessings. That Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. There is a felicity and fulfillment in Christ that you can't find anywhere else. A purpose, a meaning. There is the truth that Christ has the words of truth, that he is the way, the truth, and that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The love in which Jesus brings, bringing in the parental fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, and this morality because God loves us. And in the scriptures, you find this heightened view of marriage. You find civil responsibility and you find the church. And also within Christ, we find that there is some meaning in suffering. That God himself did not exempt himself from the suffering that we endure. Hebrews 5.8 says, though he was a son, Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And where suffering makes little to no sense, we find Christ suffering with us. And we also see forgiveness. Forgiveness like in no other place. The psalmist of old says in Psalms 130 verse 3, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. Forgiveness in Christ. And lastly, there's hope. There's real hope for the future. When we turn on the news and we see the brokenness of our world, when we see the brokenness of humanity, when we see the division and the hate, it's hard to know what's in front of us. But with Christ, there is a hope because Peter says, thou hast the words of life, of life, of eternal life. Jesus is the answer. To whom else shall we turn? This time, let's center our thoughts on what Christ has done for each of us. His body was broken on the cross so that we might be forgiven. And so let's remember Jesus as we partake of this bread. Father God, thank you for this bread which represents the precious body and life of our Lord. Help us to take it in a way which is pleasing to you. We repent of our sins and we aspire to live as your son. Through his name we pray, amen. At this time, let's partake of the fruit of the vine, the wine which represents his blood that was shed for forgiveness of sins. Father God, we need forgiveness. 
This world needs forgiveness. Help us to forgive one another and forgive us as we forgive each other. And help us to remember the price of forgiveness. In the name of Christ, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. And like Peter, we turn to Jesus at this time, knowing that Jesus has the words of life. Lord, we turn to you. God bless you in your coming week. And may God heal our world. God bless you.